Hello, I'm your host, John Martin. Many thanks for tuning in to your Bible teaching programme, Search for Truth. A warm welcome as you join us for talk number five in our present series of six. And in this six-week series, Brian, our Bible teacher, is taking us through the New Testament letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So have your Bible ready, and then you can follow when Brian reads some of the verses from the letter. I hope you're enjoying these uh, uh, programmes if you're following the series and finding great encouragement in your Christian discipleship. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted for his readers in Ephesus. So now let's sit back, relax and listen as Brian brings us today's talk. Thanks, John. In Ephesians chapter 4, we've entered into the practical teaching section of Ephesians. Doctrine must make a difference. I also want you to notice that this comes before the discussion of spiritual warfare in chapter 6. Next time we'll be thinking about being prepared for battle. But where's the battle? The battleground is set out in chapters 4 and 5 of this letter, and it relates to our behaviours and our relationships. In Ephesians 4, from verse 22 to 32, he says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labour, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's clear, isn't it, that our old self died and was laid aside, along with the death of Christ in the purposes of God, effective from our conversion. Then, in our Christian lives, it's our responsibility to account for that in the way that we live. Day by day, we are to lay aside the behaviours typical of our former self and our manner of life from before we came to know Christ. Easier said than done, of course. But it seems to me that Paul gives to us no less than five examples of how to do it, five areas of our lives that must progressively change if we are to evidence personal spiritual growth. In each case, Paul first gives a negative command, then a positive command, and finally he tells us the reason behind the change. Take the first of the five examples. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. It's about no longer telling lies, isn't it? Talking about lies, did you hear of the pastor who was walking across town when he came upon a group of about a dozen little boys in a side alley? In the centre of the group of boys was a dog. The pastor went over and asked, What are you doing with that dog? One of the boys replied, This dog is a neighbourhood stray. We all want him, but only one of us can take him home. So we've decided that whichever one of us can tell the biggest lie will get to keep the dog. The pastor was shocked. He launched into a ten-minute sermon against lying, beginning, Don't you boys know it's a sin to lie? And ending with, When I was your age, I never told a lie. There was silence for a minute. Just as the pastor was beginning to think he'd really got through to them, the smallest boy gave a deep sigh and said, All right, give him the dog. 
Surely he was right to imply that it was unlikely that the pastor as a child had never lied. And yet it's so easy for us to exaggerate the truth to the point of it becoming a lie. Telling lies for many is a way of life, but it shouldn't be for the Christian. So the negative command which Paul gives first is that we lay aside falsehood. Bluntly put, stop telling lies. Then the positive command is that we speak the truth to each other. And the reason given for this in the context of our relationships with other Christians is that as members of the church, which is Christ's body, we are members of each other. Paul now says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. You see, we tend to get angry at the wrong things, unlike Jesus, who always got angry at the right things. That's why Paul commands us not to be sinfully angry. When it comes to human anger, it's almost always a good idea to think twice, count to ten, or do whatever it takes to reconsider our response. God never needs to reconsider or repent for his anger. Because God is holy and perfect, his anger is holy and perfect. Divine wrath is real, but it's never petty, vengeful, haphazard or cruel, traits which so often characterise our expressions of anger. Jesus displayed the righteous anger of God on several occasions, but not to avenge a personal wrong and never to justify himself. In contrast, here's an example of uncontrolled anger. One morning, Ralph woke up at five o'clock to a noise that sounded like someone repairing boilers on his roof. Still in his pyjamas, he went into his backyard to investigate. He found a woodpecker on the TV antenna, pounding its little brains out on the metal pole. Angry at the little creature who'd ruined his sleep, Ralph picked up a rock and threw it. The rock sailed over the house and he heard a distant crash as it hit the car. In utter disgust, Ralph took a vicious kick at a clod of dirt, only to remember too late that he was still in his bare feet. Uncontrolled anger, as Ralph learned, can sometimes be its own reward. Now Paul's positive follow-up command. That was when he told us not to let the sun go down on our anger. In other words, sort things out quickly, before they escalate, and certainly before any bitterness sets in. And the reason given by Paul why we should act quickly? It's to prevent the devil gaining an opportunity. As our accuser, he'd simply be delighted at the opportunity for reproaching us in this. He'd come back later and tell us, you're no good, God can't use you, you can't control yourself. Don't give the devil that kind of opportunity. Settle any dispute in real quick time. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labour, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. This is the third lifestyle issue Paul deals with. A man named Emmanuel Nenger, back in the year 1887, went into a small grocery store to buy some turnips. He gave the clerk a $20 bill. As the clerk put the money in the cash drawer, she noticed some of the ink from the $20 bill came off on her fingers, which were still damp. Eventually, the clerk called the police, and they verified the bill as counterfeit, and they got a search warrant to look through Mr Nenger's home. In the attic, they found out that he was a master artist who painted $20 bills with brushes and paint. But also in the attic, they discovered three portraits that Nenger had painted. They seized those and eventually sold them at auction for $16,000, or a little more than $5,000 per painting. The irony is that it took Nenger almost as long to paint a $20 bill as it did for him to paint a $5,000 portrait. 
It's true that he was a thief, but the person from whom he stole the most was himself. Is there not a lesson there for us? When we're generous with our expenses claim, or when we borrow someone else's idea, or plagiarise the writings of others, we bring our own Christian identity into disrepute, and we defraud ourselves. When Paul switches now to the positive command and tells us to perform what is good with our hands, he reminds me of the simple statement which summed up the life of our Lord Jesus. He went about doing good. He continually dispensed blessing to others by everything he did. If we could be more like that, we'd have joy in sharing with others, which Paul says is what it's all about. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. On my travels to the Philippines, I see painted on schoolyard walls a version of an old proverb. It says, The words of the tongue should have three gatekeepers. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? These are three tests we do well to apply to what we're about to say in an attempt to filter our speech. Someone has asked the question, if someone paid you 10 cents for every kind word you said about people and collected 5 cents for every unkind word, would you be rich or would you be poor? In time of war, the country was made aware that careless talk costs lives because by that means useful information could get into the wrong hands or the wrong ears. Careless talk is always a problem for a believer, for it grieves the Holy Spirit, the gracious heavenly guest who lives within each true believer of Christ. What's more, at the assessment of our lives of Christian service, we'll have to answer to Christ for every careless or idle word. At an evening social for army officers and their wives, the commanding general of the base had been given a special award, and he proceeded to drone on in a long speech of thanks. A lieutenant mumbled to the woman at his side, why they would give him an award is beyond me. He's nothing but a stupid old windbag. The woman turned to him and said, Lieutenant, do you know who I am? No, ma'am. I am the wife of the man you just called a stupid old windbag. I see, said the young lieutenant. And do you know who I am? No, I don't, said the general's wife. Good, said the lieutenant as he disappeared into the crowd. Point made, I trust. But now let's move quickly on with Paul to the positive command, the one about saying instead those things which are good for edification. Words like, I'm proud of you. I knew you could do it. What a good helper. You're very special to me. I trust you. Well done. That's so creative. You make my day. You tried really hard. I couldn't be prouder of you. And the reason for replacing put-downs with speech which builds up the other person it's to give grace to the other person, and so to be like Christ, who was noted for the gracious words which just poured from his lips and blessed those who heard. Finally, Paul said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The mention of bitterness and slander comes immediately after the command not to grieve the Holy Spirit, implying that unwholesome speech and bitterness are things which grieve the Holy Spirit. You can live an outwardly upright and respectable life, but be consumed with bitterness inside. That grieves the Holy Spirit within you. Paul's positive follow-up command is to replace the vices of bitterness, slander and malice with the virtues of kindness, tenderness and a forgiving attitude. Mamie Adams always went to a branch post office in her town because the postal employees there were very friendly. 
She was once waiting in a long queue and someone pointed out there was no need to wait in line because there was a stamp machine in the lobby. I know, said Mamie, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. Mamie valued the kindness and tenderness of another sympathetic human being. The reason for us being like this is to be like the God who in Christ has forgiven us. Brian's talk today prompts me to ask if our lives as Christians stand out as being any different to any ordinary good person in our neighbourhood. Surely we as Christians must strive to let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us from day to day. Now, if you'd like the free booklet that's a transcript of all the programmes in this series, you can send for it by letting us have your postal address, asking for the title Experiencing God in Ephesians, and writing to our postal address or our email address. First, the postal address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE56LN, UK. And now our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. As I've said, you can download MP3 versions of past programmes on your computer. Go to www.searchfortruth.com .org.uk. This is our church website where you can also access additional helpful material. And some titles of past booklets are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and a growing list of transcript books will, will pop up. It's been great to have the privilege of your company today. Hope you enjoyed the programme. And we'll reach the end of this series next week with talk number six, so don't forget to tune in. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen.